It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. We're finishing up a series entitled Difference Makers. And um, uh, the background is different than it has been for the whole series. If you can't see it, um, I picked this background for the slide because what you're looking at is a beautiful olive tree. An olive tree is a symbol of God's people. And an olive tree, an olive tree is a symbol of God's people because, because, you see, God's people are not like potatoes where their fruit is the root. God's people are like an olive tree where the fruit is on the branches. It has roots, and the roots sustain the tree, but, but the fruit is on the branches. I picked this because, because of the difference maker we have to look at today. No surprise, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. I have prepared for a number of Resurrection Sunday services over the decades. I was brought to this Sunday through the text in a kind of surprising way, a way I've never approached it before. I, I saw something that made my heart sing, and I hope it makes your heart sing as well as we begin to unpackage this. I mean, you, the, the reason why we're here is, is to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. He has risen. He's risen indeed. So you know what that means. That means he was dead, he was buried, and he rose, and he appeared. I, I want to build on that, but I want to back up into the text and I would like to think with you for a few moments um, about Jesus, the resurrection, and I want to do it based upon this text, and you know it well. Beloved, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things have been made, and apart from Him nothing's been made that's been made. And in them is love, life, and that life is the light of the world, and that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness is not understood. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, that glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Say these words after me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Now we'll say them together in English, please. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, the very words of God. Quite frankly, that is the point of the resurrection, isn't it? That, I, the, the break that was once between us and God is no longer there. And though there are still breaks and fractures between us here, they, 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 not, they, they need not be the answer. They need not define us. The, the break that we have with God, I mean, it, it's not that God ever stopped loving us. He's always loved us. 
But now you and I can encourage each other to love God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we can love each other. It is possible. Democrats, Republicans, cats, dogs, they can love each other. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to divide. Not in the body of Christ. That's what, that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. That, that's what those of us who bear the witness, those of us who bear the mark, those of us who carry a, a living heart, live lives of love. And it's possible, truly possible, because of what happened on the cross. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had an event happen to him. I want to talk to you about Jesus' mountain moment. There's lots of mountains in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's one of the first mountains you encounter is Mount Sinai. Um, that's, a, that's a significant mountain. Then there's, there's Mount Hor, where Aaron, the prophet, was buried, and Mount Nebo, where Moses, the prophet, was, or Aaron, the priest, rather, and Moses, the prophet, was buried on Mount Nebo. There's Mount, there's Mount uh, Hermon, the headwaters of the Jordan in the north. Uh, Mount Gerizim, Mount Carmel. But I, I, I want to talk about a well, as a matter of fact, Jerusalem. It's, it's interesting with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is spread over three mountains. If you've ever been there, you, you'll recall. There's the Mount of Olives. Then there's Mount Moriah. And what's interesting, it just dawned on me this morning, that there's also the Western Hill. Now, if you've never been there, which do you think would be higher, the Western Hill or Mount of Olives? Well, I would think Mount of Olives because it's Mount, but it's not. Mount of Olives, Mount Moriah, where the temple was, uh, and, and then Western Hill. So when you're on the Western Hill, you're looking down on the two mountains. Jerusalem, isn't that interesting? And of the three mountains where God chooses to put his house, he puts it on the smallest mountain. Isn't that interesting? Remember one time going to Shiloh, um, where the tabernacle was. And the, the tabernacle, too, is there, there's, to the south, there's a taller hill, and to the, to the north, there's a taller hill. And Shiloh, Shiloh, which means resting place, that's where the tabernacle was. It was on the most humble. So what makes God's hill big, what makes it significant is not its geography, but the God who dwells there and the people who engage with him there. Well, Jesus went to a mountain. Uh, and. Uh, I, I, I want to think with you about what happened on that mountain. Now, this mountain is mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels. The, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's mentioned in all three of them. And each of the gospel writers kind of shares their perspective. Matthew shares his perspective. Mark shares his perspective. But of, of the three of them, it's Luke who gives us the most. And he shares something very specific that just kind of set me back in my desk this past week, and I began to dance. I said, this is so cool, and I want to share that with you. Would you take out your Bibles, please, and go to Luke's Gospel, the, the ninth chapter, and I'll go there in my Bible as well. Luke chapter 9, uh, Luke begins in the verse numbered 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and went up to a mountain to pray. We don't, we don't know what mountain it is it's to this day. I mean, they, they, they have guesstimates, then tourists go to different places, but we don't know which one it is. He went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, 
the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flashing light. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus and they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to its fulfillment in, in, at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Did, did, you, did you see that before? These guys, they, they, they're sleeping on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're awake in the boat when Jesus is sleeping. Isn't that interesting? Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. And as the men were leaving, Peter, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son who I've chosen. Shema him. Listen to him. So far the reading of God's word. May the same spirit inspire these words and lighten them to our hearts and to our understanding. The transfiguration, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And, and, and what, what, what I, what I want to do is I want to look at that verse where it says these words. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, that word fulfillment, it, 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 I don't think it carries, it didn't carry for me the content that it can carry, I think. Because, you know, you kind of fulfill a contract, I do my part, you do your part, kind of thing. That it, it's kind of, he brings it to completion, is, is the way I like to render it. Jesus is about to bring, he's about to bring something to its completion. He's about to finish something. He's about to get her done. Okay? He's about to get her done. But, so I want you to hold on to that, but what, where I want us to nest is that word departure. I have read this for I don't know how long. And I never took the time to find out what's the Greek word for departure. It's exodon, where we get the word exodus. Moses and Elijah are meeting Jesus on the mountain to talk to him about his exodus, which he's about to complete. In other words... In other words, there have been pictures and there have been hints and there have been promises in the Bible. And God's people have been frustrated, um, patient, disillusioned because of all these promises that God has given, these pictures that God has given, and yet none of them have really been it. I mean, and, so, and so on the mountain, and when I was in seminary, we would talk about uh, Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Moses and Elijah on the mountain Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. So here you have all the law and the prophets. I remember one time Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And we just shared it a few moments ago. You know, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second commandment unto it is, 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 is uh, love your neighbor. On these, all the law and prophets hang. Okay? So, so they represent, and I hadn't thought about that. But did you see, have you got your Bibles open? That they, that they were speaking to Jesus about his exodus. I wonder what that conversation was like. I wonder what that conversation was like. So Jesus is praying. 
His disciples, apparently it was going on too long, and they're dozing off. He's praying, and they, he starts to glow. And as he's glowing, as he's praying, here comes Moses, and here comes Elijah. And, and they come, and they have, a, they have a, a discussion topic. And we would like to talk with you, Jesus, about this exodus that you're going to finish, this exodus you're going to do at Jerusalem. It's that exodus you and I are celebrating today. So, so there's Elijah and Moses. I, I don't know who went first. Let's, let's, just, let's just pretend. Let's just think about Elijah. His name in Hebrew is Eliyahu. Eliyahu is um, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord is God. This is the compassionate God. This is the loving one. The covenantal one is, is God. And Elijah is an interesting character because Elijah just appears on the scene. He's not, you, don't, you don't meet his mom and dad. You don't have a birth narrative. You don't have him growing up. He just kind of is there. There he is. And Elijah comes, and, and there's, a, there's a famine in the land because there's no rain. And, and I can see Elijah talking to Jesus and saying, well, Jesus, you know, um, uh, you know as you're pre- preparing for your departure, I just, I just want to encourage you um, because you see your disciples sleeping there. Um, that could be very frustrating. Um, let me tell you my story. I, 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 I was led by God to a place called Mount Carmel. And, uh, uh, and when I was on Mount Carmel, uh, the people were sinning greatly. They were worshiping the god Baal. And, 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 and there was, Baal was supposed to bring rain, but there was no rain, you see, Jesus. And so, and so we had a showdown. We had a showdown. Uh, the forces of God and the forces of Baal, the good versus evil. The, no, not the good versus evil. The holy versus evil. And, 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 and so I, I appeared before the people. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. We're going to build an altar, and the God that brings down fire should be easy for Baal because one of his manifestations is lightning. So it should be right in his wheelhouse. So we'll have Baal bring the lightning. Whatever God bring, whatever deity brings the lightning, that's the one we're going to serve. Okay? Now, here's, here's, my, here's my only criteria, is I want all 450 prophets of Baal at Carmel. Can we do that? You bet. You bet. So Jesus, you wouldn't believe. The mountain was full of people. There were the, there were the, the Israelites that were come to watch. Uh, there were the 450 prophets from Baal. And being a gentleman, I let him go first. So they went, and they spent the whole day. It was kind of funny. Kind of made fun of him. Not sure if that's really God-pleasing, but I kind of made fun of him. Is Baal asleep? Well, then it was my turn, and, and I said, guys, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let, let me have my turn. So then, so then I had the altar built, and, and I had water brought on it, water brought on it. Seven times I had water brought on it. In a time of a drought, water's kind of hard to find. And I'm using up all this precious water in a time of a drought on an altar, okay? And I begin to pray, and I barely get my prayer out, and lightning comes down. The whole thing is consumed in the water and everything by fire. Well, of course. The people said, the one who brings fire, that's the one we're going to worship. So, Jesus, do you know who won? We won. We won. We won. We won. Then, you know what, Jesus? For me, is what... (laughs) One of the saddest things in my life, I wish I had never done it, but the saddest verse for me in the Bible is this one. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, which is the valley right by Mount Carmel, and there slaughtered them. Why? Why? 
We had just proven that their God was a fraud. Don't you think these, pro- these priests of Baal would have been amazing disciples? Folks, we had it wrong. All these generations, we had it wrong. Baal is nothing. It's Yahweh. Can you imagine those kind of disciples? You know, Jesus, I think later on, there'll be times in church history when people will have the truth and they'll try to convey the truth by killing others, like the Crusades. And sometimes there'll be times in church history when people will have the truth and all they have to be is right and they'll knock somebody down because they have to be right. They have to have the last word. I killed them. It didn't dawn on me right away, Jesus, but then, but I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I, I, I felt called I was depressed. I went, ran in fear, and I went to Beersheba, which is really about 100 miles south of Carmel. And I, I was going there with my servant, and the further I got, 100 miles is a long way by foot. I got there, and, and an angel was making a meal for me, and I had the meal, and my servant pulled the ripcord, left me, and went into Beersheba. I was by myself, and the angel said to me, Eliyahu, Ken, yes. Well, the everywhere present God would like to meet you at Mount Horeb. Horeb? Couldn't he meet me here? He's everywhere present. No, he wants to meet you at Horeb. Now, Horeb is another name for Sinai. Um, Sinai can mean tree or tooth or red. Horeb means dry. So here we have a depressed Eliyahu, a depressed Elijah, being summoned by God, who's everywhere present, but apparently not there, he was everywhere present, summons Elijah to go to Mount Horeb, and Horeb means dry, so you got a depressed Elijah going to Mount Dry. And so Elijah says, and he kind of looks at Moses as he's saying this, you know, so I'm, I'm at that mountain. Now, it's, this, it's, it's the same region, it could be the same as Sinai, but this time God called it Horeb. Scholars debate about this, but, but here I am. And you know there was a fire You know, Moses, when you were at Mount Sinai, there was a fire, and God was in the fire. For me, there was no fire. And then there was an earthquake. And Moses, you remember the earthquake? Yeah, yeah, God was in that earthquake, wasn't he? Yeah, he wasn't in this earthquake. And and, and, uh, there there was a wind. Oh, Moses, remember that wind? Yeah, God was in that wind. God was in the wind. God was in the fire. God was in the earthquake. Because God was making a point to his people who he's just being introduced to. That he's an all-powerful, almighty God, and they are in his presence exactly where they want him to be. But for Elijah, for Elijah, the point that God is making is not his power. So there's Elijah. And Elijah's standing there, and he says, and then I'm sitting there. I hear you. In Hebrew, Elijah heard the kol damama daka. Say kol damama daka. It's the still small voice of God that you can only hear if you're listening. It's the whisper made between a husband and a wife after their most intimate love has been shared and they just lie in each other's arms and there's a whisper. It's only for hearts in intimate fellowship. So Jesus, you know what he did after that? Um, I can't can't tell you what what God said to me, but I I got up and I went. And the number one thing I did is I found Elisha. 
and I discipled Elisha. And you know what Elisha did? Elisha went and found other disciples, prophets, and he discipled them. Do you know what makes Elijah the greatest of all the prophets, in my opinion? I mean, he spoke truth. All the prophets spoke truth. He did miracles. Other prophets did miracles. What makes Elijah? Elijah. Elijah came to understand what Zechariah told us. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Elijah, Elijah start, finally started to understand that when you have the truth and to change the world, you have to be God's cold Daka. Jesus, you have to be God's cold Daka. That means, Jesus, that when they hit you, turn the cheek. That means, Jesus, when they ask you to travel, go the extra mile. When they, what that means, Jesus, is when your enemy is hungry, you feed him because you are God's cold Daka. Evil stops with you, Jesus. Don't, don't be like me, Jesus. I want to encourage you. And then there's Moses. And Moses, oh, about the Exodus, this I know. I got this one. Let me tell you, Jesus, this is what I think. <laughs> you remember, I, we were in Egypt, and the Egyptians treated us ruthlessly. Um, and, 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 and Pharaoh... Pharaoh had us making bricks, not because he wanted more bricks, he just wanted less Hebrews. In fact, we were making bricks and he was drowning our sons in the Nile. And, and so God came and, and God, God says, I've heard my people's cry, I'm going to bring them out. And there were, the, there were these 10 plagues. We called them wonders because it was just amazing. Whatever happened to the Egyptians didn't happen to us. One of the most amazing things was the ninth one. The ninth one it was scary. It was real scary. Um, <clears throat> now, it, it, was, it was a full moon um, at night, but during the day, but then this ninth plague came, it was all darkness. It was all darkness. And then, then the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. So Jesus, I just got to tell you, I've never seen anything like it before. If you ever see something like that where there's all kinds of darkness and then death of a firstborn, Listen, Jesus, with this exodus, we, we, God let us out. The Egyptians let us, after the firstborn thing, they let us go. They let us go. But the enemy kept chasing. The enemy kept chasing. And, and of all places, God brought us to the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is a huge body of water. We've seen rivers. We have the Nile River, but we've never seen a sea before. We're slaves. We, we don't get to travel a lot. So there's a sea, and the sea is all chaos. The sea is death. We don't know how to swim. We're slaves. And then we turn around, and here comes the enemy. And the enemy's coming with his chariots. He's coming with his chariots. He's going to go, why did God bring us to a place where if we go here, we die? If we stay here, we die? Why would God do that? And then I heard God say, Moses, take your staff and lift your arms. Lift up that staff. Why? Lift up that staff. And so I lifted up the staff. And what was supposed to be death to us, the sea, it begins to part. It parts. The place where we're supposed to die, it parts. And we walk through on dry ground. Jesus, that's the exodus. And, 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 and listen, I mean, only those who followed Moses, those who followed the children, 
Those, are the, the, those who followed, the, the Egyptians came through, they drowned in the Red Sea. But for us, for me, Jesus, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to lift up your arms. And you're not going to, you're not going to lift up a piece of wood, but you're going to be lifted up on a piece of wood. And something much greater than the Red Sea, but death itself will part so that those who follow you don't die. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about believers dying. We go to sleep. We're planted like a seed. We rise up different than what we were planted, but we don't die. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Why? Because you see, Jesus being encouraged by Moses to allow his arms to be lifted up, encouraged by Elijah, don't be too hard on your disciples. Be patient with them. And he, he's so much more patient than Elijah was. And he's so much more powerful and wise than Moses was. And, and he lifted up his arms and he parted death so that you and I can go through it. Christians don't die. We fall asleep. When we come to the valley of the shadow of death, there's a shepherd waiting for us. I know this as sure as I stand here, that when I get there, I'm going to hear my shepherd's voice, and because I have worked so hard to understand his word, because that, that's the only way you hear my voice, isn't it? The only way you understand George's voice is if George uses words. The only way you can understand God's voice is if you're in his word. Why does the devil want you not to read your Bibles? Why does the evil one so want you not to pray? So, so you won't recognize his voice when you have to. When you come to the valley of the shadow of death. But I will fear no evil because I have a very good shepherd. And he knows my name. And I know his voice. George, yeah, over here, come here, okay, here's my rod, grab a hold of it, come on, here's my step, come on, let's walk together, I'll fear no evil, why? See, there's an enemy that was chasing Jesus to the cross, and there was an enemy on the other side who thought the cross was his death, and Jesus just parted the way. I call this Jesus mountain moment. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. I, uh, I, uh, I think of it often. I thought of it this week. There's a third one that speaks. God. It's, got, it's not just Moses and Elijah, but it turns out God is there too. And a voice from the cloud saying, this is my son, my love. Listen to him. Now, now, you can stand on that verse. I want you to stand on that verse, because here's why. Before Jesus did anything, God wanted him to know that he loves him. Because when I read that verse, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the verse that, that's what, exactly what God said to Jesus at his baptism. Now, his baptism is his inauguration into ministry. 
So Jesus really, we don't know that much about Jesus. A little story about him at the temple. But, but other than that, we don't know that much. But his ministry is inaugurated with his baptism at John, who says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then, and then Jesus comes out of the water, and God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Before he's done anything, I love him. And, and, and then, do you know the next one he met, who Jesus met right after that? Was, was the devil. It took about... A little over a month for Jesus to meet this devil. Jesus hadn't really eaten, not a lot to drink. Jesus was really going through a hard time, and he was really vulnerable. And the devil came, if you are God's son, change it. And Jesus basically responded every time, I know who I am, and I know whose I am, and I know I'm loved by him. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The one thing that the evil one wants to do, he wants to challenge you. He wants you to doubt whether God really does love you. It could be a series of surgeries. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job. It could be all things that you, I I didn't do anything wrong. I just get it. I get it. God, what kind of God? I, what? This is, are you, what? And the one thing the evil one wants, the number one thing, is he doesn't want you to love God. And the number one thing that God said to Jesus before he began his ministry, and at this mountain moment, this is my son. I love him. You see, I'm of the opinion that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is our mountain moment. Because you're hoping the resurrection's true, or you know it's true. Either you want to be found by Jesus, or you have been found by Jesus. Because either you've been transformed, and your heart of stone is now a heart of flesh, or you want this heart of stone to become a heart flesh. You're here because God loves you. And he wouldn't bring you to a place like this, an hour like this, into his presence to say, too bad, so sad, you drew the short straw. He brought you here. You know, if I was in the Mount of Transfiguration, I don't even have to be there. I know that Jesus His spirit is among us, and he sits at the right hand of God. But in my study, I kind of was talking to him, and I said, Jesus, really? I could see Jesus echo those words. He says with a soft smile to me, George, God demonstrates his love for you in this way, that while you were a sinner, I died for you. Before I could possibly do anything for God, he loves me. He didn't create us as human doings where our being comes from our doing. He created us as human beings where our doing comes from our being. So my prayer is that this would be your Mount Transfiguration. 
It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.